You all remember the story in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament where 12 spies were sent into the promised land in order to investigate the land that God had promised his people, a land that God communicated to his people was a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land of rich abundance and blessing. Well, those 12 spies, they went in and they saw the land and its people and they were amazed. All 12 of them saw the same land, but they didn't all see the same thing. 10 of them reported that when they came into the land, they were amazed, so utterly amazed at the land that they saw that they were convinced there is no way they can go in and take that land. Two people saw that land and were amazed because that land was everything God promised and more. They saw the land that was flowing with milk and honey beyond their imagination. They were amazed that God had actually promised them this degree of blessing and they could not wait to experience what God had promised. They both saw the same land, but they didn't see the same thing. The ten never set foot in that land again. And they died in the wilderness. The two later on would walk into that land and enjoy God's bountiful blessing for the rest of their lives. They both saw the same land, but they didn't see the same thing. Have you all ever seen this picture? Some of you, it's going to look like one of those ink blobs way back in the back, but maybe you can pick this out here. Have you ever seen this picture? If, if you look at this picture, what do you see? Some of you are seeing right now a chalice, a cup. Some of you are seeing two faces, right? If you focus on the black, you see a chalice. If you focus on the white, you see two faces. Everybody seeing that? You're seeing the same picture, but you're not all seeing the same thing, right? All right, we're going to look at Revelation 19 together. We're going to start reading in verse 11. Before we start reading Revelation 19, 11, I want to tell you about a significant moment in my life. Years ago, Lindley and I were able to sit down in the home of one of my more significant mentors in life, he and his wife. We were staying the night with them, and we had a great experience together visiting and sharing and encouraging one another. And Lindley and I left that experience so blessed and reminded of all the ways that God had used that man and his wife in our lives. Little did I know that that would be the last time I would see him. He was killed in a car accident. And I just want to tell you, those memories of that last impression, that final moment I shared with him, are still memories that encourage me to this day. 
You know, those final moments with someone, that last impression can really weigh on who you are and how you feel. In Revelation 19, Jesus Christ has provided for us a last impression. This is the final vision of Jesus Christ in the Bible. This is the last way that Jesus has revealed himself and who he is. This is how Jesus wants us to remember him. We, we talk often in the church about visions of Jesus, pictures of Jesus. The picture of Jesus as a shepherd who is tenderly caring for and leading and guiding his sheep. We think of the picture of Jesus as the one who heals those who are sick and downtrodden and he comes along with his compassion, his concern and he displays his care upon them. We talk about Jesus Christ on the cross bearing the sins of the world, crushed because of our iniquity. We talk about Jesus Christ, we did this morning, rising out of that grave, alive forever. We talk about these visions of Jesus and all of those visions of Jesus in the scripture are pictures that we should be seeing and beholding and being amazed at. But what I want us to make sure we don't miss this morning is that this vision of Jesus is the impression, the final impression of Jesus he wanted us to be left with. This is how Jesus wants us to see him. This is how he wants us to remember him. I'm encouraging us to see Jesus as he wants to be seen. We're going to read through this passage. And here's how I'm going to do it this morning. This passage is broken down in the first section in phrases that are descriptions of what John is seeing in the person of Christ. And I'm just going to read the phrases of description together and talk just a little bit about each phrase so that we have in our mind's eye the vision of Jesus as he wants us to remember him. So here we go, Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. And I saw the heavens opened, and behold, a horse, a white horse, and the one sitting on him called Faithful and True. Jesus Christ is seated on a white horse of victory and valor. And we are told immediately that he is called faithful and true. He is faithful in all that he says and all that he does. If Jesus Christ acts, his action is faithful and true because it's Jesus Christ who acted. If Jesus Christ speaks, his words are faithful and true because it's Jesus Christ who speaks. 
Everything that he is motivated to do is coming out of the reality that everything he is is best summed up in the name faithful and true. And here he is in all his valor. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Jesus Christ on a war horse coming as a warrior, and he will issue forth judgment, and he will make war. And he wants us to see that his judgment and his warfare is righteous. That everything he does in judging the world and making war against his enemies is done in perfect righteousness. He is making every wrong right and he's displaying that his action in judgment is righteous. His eyes are flames of fire. Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd done something wrong and you thought nobody else knew it? until you looked in the eyes of your mom or dad and they looked at you with that look and you wondered to yourself, how in the world do they know what I did? It's like it could just look right through you. That's nothing like the eyes of Jesus. His eyes are like flames of fire. He can see into the heart of every single person. Nothing is hidden from Jesus Christ. That's why his judgment is righteous. Because he sees as people really are. Upon his head are many diadems. Earlier in the book of Revelation, we saw the dragon, Satan, having a crown on his head, diadems. We saw the beast having a crown on its head, diadems. This many diadems on the head of Jesus Christ is the victor's crown, the crown of victory. On the beast, on the dragon, we just saw a few diadems, seven and ten. On Jesus Christ, we see many. The picture here that Christ is displaying is, though imposters have worn a victor's crown, their crowns were not the crown of victory. They were pretending, I am the one who wears the victor's crown. And Jesus Christ says right here in revealing who he is, that there's coming a day when no other crown will be worn and no other person will claim victory. And Jesus Christ will be the final one wearing the victor's crown and he will accomplish victory once and for all. He has a name written which no one knows except himself. We see this vision of Jesus Christ as he wants us to see him and remember him. And in this vision we're told that he has a name likely on the crown that he's wearing. And that name remains mysterious to us. No one knows it except Jesus Christ in this vision. 
What remains a mystery to us reminds us that Jesus Christ reigns and rules. He wears that crown that displays his name. But we have not yet seen the full rule and reign of Christ. But there's coming a day when he will arrive and he will wear that crown. And on that crown will be that name. And it will be on display for all to see. And in that moment when he displays the name that he bears, which only he knows, he will display it to the world and they will see him as he really is in all his his glory and he will reign victorious this is how Jesus wants us to see he is clothed with a garment dipped in blood Jesus Christ appears on this white horse and sits upon this white horse in contrast, wearing robes that are stained red with the blood of his enemies. He is the warrior who will crush his enemies. And his name is called the Word of God. This is the only time in all the scripture where Jesus Christ is said to be named the Word of God. Do you know what that means for you and me? That Jesus Christ wants you to see that he is the Word of God. Here's what that means. This entire book, the Bible, is about Jesus Christ. Every word, every description, every paragraph, every story is the word of God. It's about Jesus Christ revealing to us who he is so that every day we can open this book, the word of God, and be reminded. He can speak to us about who he is because he is the word of God. And he is daily right now speaking to us through his word so that we might respond to him, the word of God, before he speaks final judgment. Because when the word of God speaks final judgment, there will be no more time. He is the word of God. And one day he will speak the final word of judgment and it will be final. The armies of heaven follow him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This is a vision of the armies of heaven following Jesus Christ all on warrior horses going into battle and the armies of heaven are clothed in righteousness displaying the glory of God himself so that we might see and behold Christ in all his power and recognize that Jesus Christ will not be stopped. No one will stand before him. He will accomplish his promises. He is full of might and victory and he arrives and no one will be able to stand. 
against him and his army. Verse 15. And from his mouth comes out a sharp sword so that by it he might strike the nations. Jesus Christ speaks as the king that he is. His enemies will be cut down simply by the word of his mouth, just as if they'd been cut down by a sharp sword. No one will be able to stand against the words of Jesus Christ, the judge. He rules them with a rod of iron. The the word here that's translated rule is the same word that in another context can be translated shepherd. And here we see a reminder of one of the pictures of Jesus as a shepherd, gentle and caring with the sheep of his flock. But in this context, we do not see a shepherd. We see a king who bears a rod of iron and rules his way such that there is no debate. There is no defense. There is no standing against him. There is nothing but compliance to his rule. He rules with a rod of iron. He tramples the winepress of the wine of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Jesus Christ came and he walked on this earth and he subjected himself to rejection. He subjected himself to people's brokenness. And he gave his life to be crushed on the cross under the weight of our sin. He gave his life to be crushed under the weight of the wrath of God. So that anyone who might trust in him might receive the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus Christ came and he was crushed. But Jesus Christ rose again and he promised to return and he's given us this vision of who he is in waiting to return so that we might recognize that when he comes again, he is coming to crush his enemies. To tread them like a wine press in the fury of of the wrath of God. Verse 16. And he has upon his robe and upon his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ wants us to remember him 
in all his glory and his power so that we might recognize who he really is. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who sovereignly rules and reigns and will come again to establish his reign forever. The next section of this vision contains details of what Jesus wants us to know about what he will do because of who he is. Verse 17. And I saw one angel standing in the sun, and he cried out in a great voice, saying to all the birds which fly about in mid-heaven, Come, gather together for the great supper of God in order that you might eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of the strong and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all those who are free and those who are slaves and the small and the great. Here we have another invitation. God is issuing forth an invitation by way of this angel to the great supper of God. And the invitation is going out to the carrion birds of the earth so that they might come and prepare to feast on the slain. Verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled together to make war with the one who sits upon the horse and with his army. This vision of this unbelievable battle, the war of all wars. And look what happens. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who makes signs before him, through which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. The two were cast alive into the lake of fire which burns with sulfur. Before the battle even begins, the war is over because Jesus Christ is mighty to save. Verse 21, and the rest were killed by the sword of the one who sits upon the horse which comes out of his mouth and all the birds were filled from their flesh. That is a final impression that frankly is rather unsettling. The 
I'm praying that it would settle rightly on our hearts today. Let's think together about what we have in Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, we have two invitations. An invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we have an invitation to the great supper of God. And in between those two invitations, we have a vision of Jesus as he wants us to see him. We all see the same vision, but we will not all necessarily see the same thing. For those who do not say yes, for those who do not RSVP to the marriage supper of the Lamb, What they will see in reality is far worse than what we just read. For those who do not say yes to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the vision of Jesus Christ will be a vision of Jesus Christ as judge and warrior who will crush his enemies. And they will see this reality of Jesus when this vision becomes reality. They will see Jesus only as judge. For those who do not say yes to the invitation of the marriage supper of the Lamb that Jesus has prepared for those who trust in Him, for those who do not say yes to the marriage supper of the Lamb, when this vision becomes reality, when this vision of this great battle and the beast and the prophet, the dragon, the lake of fire, the slaying of all the enemies of God, when this vision becomes reality, in that moment, everyone who did not say yes to the marriage supper of the Lamb will recognize that everything they hoped for in life that was not Jesus Christ, that they hoped for for security, for a future, for hope, for promise, for everything they wanted that would bring satisfaction, everything they put their hope in, in that moment will be seen for what it really is. Empty. Far worse than empty. For those who do not say yes to the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, He will attend the great supper of God. But not as participants. They will be slain in the righteous wrath of Jesus Christ. This is a hard message. And honestly, one very difficult to preach.
But I want to ask you this question. If I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior, must I not also believe that from which he saved me? Jesus Christ saved me to eternal life from the wrath of God. And if I'm going to proclaim the love of Christ and all the pictures of Christ that season the Bible, I must also proclaim the wrath of God. I have to tell you what the scripture says. I mean, how unkind of the Lord would it be for him not to tell us what's coming and how irresponsible it would be as a pastor not to proclaim to you the full counsel of the word of God. And God's word is telling us that Jesus Christ as a warrior is coming to wield the wrath of God. And he wields that wrath on all those who have not said yes to his invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They will be judged and there will be no recourse. I don't, I don't like that message. But here's the deal. I believe it. And I want to see Christ in this way so that I will be moved in my life to trust him and to follow him and to proclaim him. Listen, there's another way to see this vision. As crazy, difficult as it is to see the vision that way, and there will be some who will see the vision that way. There is another way to see it for those who have said yes, who have RSVP'd to Christ's invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This same vision will be seen so differently when Jesus Christ comes again and this vision is reality, those who have said yes to the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb will see Jesus Christ in his might and his power and his truthfulness and his faithfulness and his glory and his power and might, truthfulness, faithfulness. They will see all these things of Jesus and they will resonate in the heart and soul of that one and they will see him as one who is able to save. They will see him as a savior who is capable of setting every wrong right and delivering his people from the power of darkness and the the clutches of his enemy into the truthfulness of eternal life. They will see Jesus Christ as the savior who is able to save. The one who says yes to the marriage supper of the lamb will see all of this scene of this great supper of God and the downfall of the beast and the dragon, and the lake of fire, and the slaying of all those who stand against Christ. They will see all of this, and in that moment, the one who says yes to the invitation of the marriage supper of the Lamb will know, like never before, that everything they hoped in, in Jesus Christ, is wonderfully real and even better than they imagined. Everyone who says yes to the RSVP, to the marriage supper of the Lamb, will discover in this moment that they are not attending the great supper of God, but instead will be led by Jesus Christ into the marriage supper of the Lamb, and they will sit at His table and begin to dine on His blessings forever. Forever. 
It's the same vision. It's the same vision. But we will not all see the same thing. And so I make an appeal to you today. If you have not responded to the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, if you've not responded, Jesus Christ appealed to you to believe in him for your salvation, the forgiveness of your sins. If you've not responded to Jesus Christ and his death for you, his resurrection from the dead so that you might know that what he says he will do, he will do. If you've not responded to that invitation, I am begging you, Please respond to Jesus Christ. Admit your need for him. It's so simple to say yes to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus has done all the work for you. All you have to do is admit your need for Christ. I need you. If you do not save me, I will not be saved. If you do not forgive me, I will be judged for my sin. I have sinned against you. I want to confess my sins. You just need to confess what it is that you know you've done wrong and trust that in your confession that Jesus promised to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness is real. You need to turn away from your sins and simply trust in Christ every day as the King of Kings who will walk with you by sending you His Spirit to live with you so that you're never alone again. And He will carry you through this life until the day He comes and rescues you and takes you to be with Him forever. Please admit your need for God. Confess your sin to Him. Turn away from your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ alone and spend your life aligning yourself with who He is and what what he says because there is no king like Jesus and there's nothing like following him please respond to Christ and if you have responded to Christ let this final impression of Jesus sink in on your heart so that you might be reminded that what he wants you to know about him is that he is mighty to save. That you can hold on to him. You can stand firm in the faith because of who he is. He has shown you who he is right now so that you might be encouraged to hold on no matter what. He needs his people to stand firm in the faith while we wait. And so he gave us this vision of himself so that we might recognize if we're holding on to him, we're good. What do I have to worry about? What fear is greater than him? What challenge can he not overcome? I can hold on no matter what. I'm not going to give up because of Jesus Christ and who he has shown me he is. I'm going to hold on. You know, Jesus encourages us to have that perspective in this vision of himself by telling us that he wears a name that no one knows except himself. It's to cause us to remember back to a promise he made to those who hang on. In Revelation 2, 17, he said, for those who overcome, those who hang on, I'm going to give to them a name which no one knows except the one who receives it. 
When you look at Revelation 2 promise and Revelation 19 revelation of Jesus, you know what we're reminded? That we can hold on to Christ and when we hold on to him, he plans for us to dine at the table of his blessing forever and ever and to experience what only belongs to Christ. Hold on. This vision of Christ reminds us that our enemy is defeated. I mean, isn't it unbelievable? They gather for war, and it's like before the battle even begins, the war is over because of the magnificent power of Christ. Our enemy is defeated. Do you see any conflict here between the enemy and Jesus? Do you see any difficulty that Jesus has in overcoming the enemy? Is it even a contest? It's like, man, you guys gathered, and it's really unfair. Our enemy is already defeated. And Jesus has given us this vision so that we might see him and look at all the challenges and temptations and difficulties of life while we wait for his return and understand that our enemy is defeated. So when you see Jesus Christ in this vision, you know what you get to do? You get to experience little victories while you wait. Because the enemy's effort in you is just creating one opportunity after another for a little victory that can encourage you to hold on until the final victory of Jesus Christ. Our enemy is defeated and his efforts in our life because of who Jesus Christ is create opportunities for little taste of what's coming. And we cannot miss out even on the little taste. It's that good. And he's that real. And he's that powerful. You know why Jesus gives us this unsettling vision of himself? So that we who see him as Savior might be compelled to tell those around whom we live what we see when we see this vision so that they might never see him as judge. Do you feel that? So this week when you open your Bible, when you get on your knees to pray, when you begin to sing some songs this week of praise to the Lord, when you make plans and you show back up here in, in this worship center, would you please, please don't forget who Jesus is. That this is what he wants you to remember about him. Yes, see the cross. Yes, see the shepherd. Yes, see the compassion. See the love. See the patience and the forbearance of Christ. But please do not miss to see Jesus as he wants you to see him. See Jesus faithful and true. See him with a robe dipped in the blood of his enemies. See him coming forth with the name on his crown that no one knows. See him coming forth on a white horse ready to do battle, ruling with a rod of iron, ready with a sharp sword coming out of his mouth to strike down the nations. See him coming as the king of kings, lord of lords. And likely, if we will see him like he wants us to see him, it will bring us all 
low. And we will cry out for him and want to cling to him. We'll want to hold on and want to tell others about him. He will move us from our tendency to pride and self-sufficiency. And we will cling more to Jesus Christ because we will see him as the one who is all-powerful and capable of carrying us into the day he returns. There is no better way to live your life than in the hope of a returning king. And Jesus is like no other king. Jesus sent his disciples out and they ministered to others and they had this amazing experience of the work of Christ and the gospel and they were so excited. They came back to Jesus in Luke chapter 10 telling him all about it and they were so excited and Jesus was thrilled with what had happened in their lives and how they experienced the power of the gospel on display telling people about the kingdom of God and the scripture says that Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Now that would be something I'd love to see. Just overwhelmed with rejoicing. And this is what he said to his disciples. Blessed are the eyes which have seen the things that your eyes have seen. There are many prophets and many kings who wish to see it, and they never saw it in their lifetime. I got to believe that today Jesus is rejoicing. That he's rejoicing because of what our eyes have seen in Revelation 19. Blessed are the eyes that have seen what we have seen. Because there were prophets long ago who wished to see this vision of Jesus in their lifetime and they never got to read Revelation 19. 